Well, one of the, the joys that we have this morning is, uh, is being able to hear God's Word. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter uh, 1, 14 through 16. And R.W. Mackey is with us. He's going to be sharing this morning. Um, R.W. is a, uh, a friend. Uh, I've known R.W. the last uh, 12 or 13 years. And R.W. has been a, um, a tremendous encouragement in my own personal life. Um, R.W. has been on uh, staff at the Master's College for 35 plus years, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, serves as an elder in his church, has served in different interim pastor roles. Um, but more than that is just the sincerity of his love for the Lord. And both he and Beth um, are up. Many of you guys know Lance and Jill Wallace. Uh, R.W. and Beth are the parents of Jill. And so um, you guys know, some of you know Johnny and Emma, and so that's their grandparents. Um, but as we've gotten to know them and gotten to, to spend time with them, um, their sincerity and love for Jesus is evident. And so we're excited to have R.W. preach this morning out of 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16. And so he's going to come up and share with us this morning. Thank you, Tim. Um, we're big fans of the Swansons. And... I like you guys, and I don't hardly know you yet. You know, I just, uh, I'm so happy to be here. This is uh, terrific uh, to be able to come and spend some time with you, open the word uh, with you. Beth and I are just really happy to be able to do that. So um, anyway, I'd invite you to uh, uh, join with me in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 as we get started. I wrote a few notes here in my uh, day planner for 2020. I thought I ought to be able to use it for something. <laughs> know what I mean? I mean, er just about everything in here is crossed out, right? It's, uh, this is really, really strange. Who would have thought at the beginning of the year this is how it was going to play out? But uh, I think it was Thomas Akempis that said... Uh, Man proposes and God disposes. And, um, you know, in, in his design, this is uh, the way it is. And, of course, we could uh, talk a long time about maybe some of the implications that are involved uh, with all of this. But uh, we want to get into God's Word. We enjoy doing that together as his people and, and feeding on the Word. Um, you know, so much of life... Uh, revolves around perspective. Uh, the perspective that we take into uh, our lives and the things that uh, happen to us, even with this uh, coronavirus and the things that we're facing right now, uh, perspective is everything, isn't it? As we uh, view what's uh, going on around us. Uh, I'm reminded of a story and I don't know if it really happened or not. It was uh, during the Prohibition time in the United States, and a preacher got up, and he uh, you know, wanted to use an object lesson uh, to talk with his uh, congregation. Of course, he had something in mind when he did it. Uh, he took out two glasses and, and put them on the uh, pulpit, and one, had, uh, one glass had water in it, the other glass had whiskey. And uh, then he produced a worm, and he held the worm up, you know, the worm's wiggling around and doing whatever worms do, and uh, he took the worm and dropped it in the water, 
the worms at home. You know, the worm's still wiggling, things are going great. He picked up the worm, dropped it in the whiskey, and of course the worm stopped moving. And uh, he turned to the congregation then, everybody that was there, and he says, uh, folks, what did we just learn? And some old guy got up in the back of the auditorium and he said, well, preacher, I guess we learned if you drink, you won't have worms. <laughs> okay? Now, I can guarantee you that wasn't the perspective that the preacher had, right? I mean, he wanted to, you know, show how that alcohol was bad and would kill living things and so on and so forth. And uh, the guy in the back of the room had a different approach to it, didn't he, you see? And uh, so that perspective really means a lot, doesn't it? Uh, and, and there can be, you know, very different perspectives. If you get a new car, uh, I'm probably interested in how fast it goes. And I'm probably interested in a few other features, uh, somebody else might be interested in the color of it, you see. And, 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 and that's part of the beauty of the, life that we, the lives that we live is uh, this uh, myriad of perspectives really adds texture, doesn't it? And it's a wonderful thing. But uh, it, it can be a not-so-wonderful thing as well uh, in your life or my life as as uh, we approach looking at life. And uh, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, we see the contrast of two perspectives or two different approaches uh, to living. Uh, so follow along with me, if you would. In verse 14, Peter says, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in ignorance. And so he says, you know, there's a former lust that's here. And, uh, you know, we can kind of demystify the word lust. Uh, the word lust just simply means desire. So he said you, you had a former desire. And he said you had that desire because you were ignorant and ignorance, you know, would be defined as you didn't know God, you didn't know the ways of God, the Spirit of God wasn't inside you and, and uh, speaking uh, to your heart and causing you to have, you know, a, a certain viewpoint. Uh, and he said, so this was your, the former lust, but he said in verse 15 then, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so we have two different approaches to living here. We have the approach that it basically will be the approach that, you know, we see in the world around us. It's going to be the approach that you know, talks to us in advertising and media and all the things we're involved with. And this would just be, you know, just the common everyday approach that people take to living. And uh, theologians look at this and, and they say, you know, that's, that's really that approaches the pursuit of happiness. 
and that his people are just trying to be happy, aren't they? There's even a song, don't worry, be happy, right? And, and do what you can to try to be happy, and we would define happiness as trying to make our lives as pleasant as we possibly can. And, and to a certain extent, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not masochistic. We're not trying to make ourselves miserable. We're not, you know, trying to introduce some kind of a modern-day monastic movement where we all look like we've been baptized in lemon juice. And, uh, you know, it, uh, we're not trying to be unhappy people, uh, to be sure. But the question would be, is the primary pursuit or the primary goal of my life to, to be happy, to surround myself with pleasant circumstances, you know, to the very best of my ability, or is the goal or pursuit of my life to be holy? Now, what is holiness? If this is something that I'm to, to pursue, what on earth is it? I remember as a, a young guy uh, riding my bike around uh, the neighborhood that I lived in, and uh, about four or five blocks from my house there was a church, and the church said, uh, underneath the, the name of the church, it says, We Pursue Holiness. And I'd uh, ride my bike in the parking lot of the church, and and they had a big sign in the, in the parking lot of the church that said, because we pursue holiness, we, and then I suppose there was a colon there, at that time didn't matter to me, but the, there was a list that followed. And the list said a variety of things. It says, because we pursue holiness, uh, the first thing on the list, interestingly enough, is our women don't cut their hair. And that's how they defined holiness, was uh, women that didn't cut their hair. Because we uh, live out holiness, and it was interesting, a lot of the things on the list uh, related to women, and, uh, and they said our women don't wear makeup. Uh, and then they said we don't wear jewelry, we don't do this, we don't do that. There was a list of don'ts that followed on on. Uh, that followed the, the word holiness. And as a, a young kid, I thought, well, man, that's what holiness must be, you know, that uh, you don't uh, smoke, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls that do or something. I don't know. That's holiness, right? But that, you know, you don't find that in Scripture in terms of holiness. And, and I began to uh, look at Scripture and Interestingly enough, one of the first mentions of holiness in the Bible doesn't relate to people, it relates to things. Now, the children of Israel have left Egypt, and they're, they're uh, wandering around, uh, they're getting ready to go into the promised land, they'll get there eventually, but they needed a way to meet with God while this was all happening. And God uh, gave Moses the plan to, to build the tabernacle. 
And, and the tabernacle is going to be, a, you know, sort of a, a temporary temple that can go around with them, and, and that will be the place that God dwells and meets with them. And so when they're doing that, uh, craftsmen or artisans are, are uh, commissioned to begin to create the, the, not only the tabernacle, the structure itself, but get this, to create utensils that are going to be used in the tabernacle. Cups, bowls, uh, different uh, things that are going to hold water and, and various things. And you know, interestingly enough, those uh, utensils, or we'll use the word vessels, those vessels are described as holy. And what does that mean? Holiness means set apart to be used in the service of God. That's the essence of holiness, to be set apart to be used in the service of God. And ultimately, in so doing, to bring glory to God. And at the end of a, a holy existence, to hear God say what? Two words. Well done, right? That's holiness. That's being set apart, you know, to be used by God. Now, what happens with the vessels? Well, the vessels are residing, eventually they're taken out of the tabernacle, they're put into the temple, aren't they? And they reside there in the temple in Judah. And, uh, you know, if you're in your Bible reading this year and going through the Bible in a year, I'm, I'm uh, going after that again this year and, I'm only five days behind. I don't know how you're doing with it, but nevertheless, uh, uh, you know, you read about Israel, the northern kingdom, and, uh, you know, they had uh, uh, all bad kings, and, and they didn't do so good, and, and they, they went into captivity uh, very quickly uh, under Assyria, and then Judah eventually uh, went into captivity and, and that was uh, at the hands of Babylon, wasn't it, you see? And interestingly enough, well, just look there real quick with me, if you would, in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, Daniel chapter 1. Hopefully uh, time will permit us to uh, thumb around our, our Bibles a, a little bit. I've got a watch on here, and that's good because I can't see the clock in the back. And you don't want them to have to take a clock down and put a calendar up. So here in uh, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. What's the next phrase? Look at this along with some of the vessels of the house of God. Here are these vessels. These are holy vessels that have been made uh, to use in the, in the temple. And, and now what? Uh, he takes those vessels 
and he brings them to the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, that it's talking about there, to the house of his God. And rightfully so, God with little g, okay? The Babylonian God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. So those are taken out of the temple. The temple's destroyed. And, and they're, they're taken back then to uh, Babylon and, um, and put in, in the house of the Babylonian deities. And, you know, uh, not much happens at that point. Uh, you know, things kind of go quiet. But things don't stay quiet, do they? Because if you thumb over to Daniel chapter 5, and in Daniel chapter 5, if, you know, if, if I were writing the, uh, the little paraphrase in the Bible that uh, you know, appears uh, before Daniel chapter 5 to kind of tell you what the uh, chapter is about, the first half of the chapter, I'd write party time because there's a party uh, that's being uh, given at this point, and it's Belshazzar's party. And in verses 1 through 5, it talks about what's happening in that party. It says, Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders, what? to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. They're going to take something that is holy and they're going to profane it. What is profanity? Profanity is taking something that is holy, that is set apart uh, to be used by God, and using it in some other way. Okay? It's, it's, It's taking that thing away from its intended purpose. Whatever that purpose is, that's profaning it. And in this case, uh, it's, it's a very serious thing, isn't it? Because if you know your Bible, you know that at that moment in time, that was the triggering mechanism for the hand coming down and writing on the wall, right? That's what triggered it. That moment of profanity caused that to happen. And, and on the wall, of course, it... It was uh, written there, uh, and it says in verse 25, Meany, meany, tico, you farson. Somebody said, you know, uh, he didn't know his uh, Bible too well. He said, well, uh, Belshazzar was a mean guy. It called him meany twice, you know. But that's not what it meant. When Daniel came in and and, uh, interpreted uh, that, basically he says, Uh, Not only has this party suddenly become a rather sober event, but uh, you've been found, put in the scales and found wanting. And uh, that night the Medo-Persian Empire came in and took over, didn't it? And uh, 
those guys lost their lives. It was an amazing thing that Daniel survived that, by the way. That God's hand was on him because, you know, that was unheard of uh, at that time. And, uh, uh, but nevertheless, to get back to the, the, the main thrust here uh, is when, when something that has been set apart to be used by God is, is profaned, and that's a serious event, isn't it? Now, here's the deal. Holiness is not so much about what you say I do and I don't do. Holiness is all about being set apart to serve God. You see? Holiness uh, is simply acknowledging that you're fearfully and wonderfully made that you were knit together, you know, in your mother's womb. Uh, You're not a result of an evolutionary random process that occurred where it was from the uh, goo to the zoo to you. It's it's not like that at all. You see, you've been crafted by, by God. And then God, through his mercy and grace, uh, has spoken to your heart through the power of his Holy Spirit. He has quickened you. He has made you alive. And you're alive now to things that, uh, you know, you were dead to before. And, and, and you see other people who have not been made alive, and, and they don't get it, right, because they're not alive to that. But you've been made alive and, and now the, your heart's desire and the, the goal of your life, you know, is to serve your creator, isn't it? You see? And, and to eventually hear him well, say, well done, good and faithful servant. The, turning aside from, from sin or turning aside from anything that's displeasing to God That's not an end in itself. That's just simply what we do to find ourselves more pleasing to him and more useful in his service. You see, holiness is is not some negative concept. It doesn't get any more positive than holiness in terms of living out the very thing that you were created to be and to do you see now if you and you know the the scripture just shouts this in so many places look uh, real quickly if you would at second timothy uh with me uh second timothy chapter two <clears throat> and and i think you'll see this uh come alive even more here. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, I I love this passage because uh, the Apostle Paul uh, here in in writing this, uh, which is probably the last thing he wrote before he he, uh, uh, was martyred in Rome, uh, he uses some wonderful word pictures to describe the believer, the Christ follower. Uh, Here, we're sort of like depositors uh, where he talks about 
the things that have been entrusted in you, deposit in other people, and, uh, and we're soldiers. Uh, he uses that, athletes, uh, farmers, uh, we're workmen, uh, we're also bond servants. But look in verses uh, 20 and 21 uh, with me, if you would. He says, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. And what's the next word? Sanctified. What's the word sanctified? It's the same word, hagios. Uh, the derivative is hagios, the same word that's uh, holy. Sanctification is just simply being made more useful in the service of God and doing what God is, has designed us and, and called us to do. So he says what? Uh, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That's it. That's it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Sometimes, you know, in our church, you know, the, some people say, you know, well, uh, you know, it's the church. I, I need to serve. I need to do this. I need to do that, you know, or the, the call goes out to help out, and the person that's asking somebody to do it, you know, tries to say, well, it won't be all that much, you know, you can do this and stuff like that, and they... You know, they sort of soft-pedal it, downplay it, you know, in, in order to try to get somebody to acquiesce, you know, to, to doing it or whatever the case may be. Folks, I have the exact opposite view of things, and, and that is there's a God who created uh, the world and everything in it, including me, and this God has a plan for the day in which we're living. There's only one thing he said he would build, and that's his church. He didn't say he would build my family. He didn't say he would build Master's University, where I'm an econ professor. He didn't say he'd build anything other than what? His church. And, and then he allows me to partner with him Somehow, I get to partner with the God of the universe in his plan for this age and the time that I'm living, and I get to be a vessel that can be used in all that, and I'm thinking, how good does this get, right? How good does this get? And here I am, you know, at uh, uh, the ripe old age of... And so... Uh, <laughs> And I'm still getting to do this, you see? That's what holiness is. It's exciting that you can partner with God. You can be a vessel that's used by God and ultimately hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. 
I, I kind of like to compete. It kind of got me in trouble a little bit too, but I've enjoyed competition my, my whole life, and I, I'm not sure why exactly, but uh, about uh, 10 or a little more than 10 years ago, it took on the form of cycling, and part of that uh, Lance Wallace uh, needs to be blamed for. But, uh, uh, and, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and I had an accident three years ago that just about took my life. And uh, uh, so a number of things resulted from that. My voice is different because of the emergency trach I needed. And I've got 10 titanium plates in my face uh, right now and just a variety of different things that that happened but uh, I would get out there and and I would you know uh, ride a lot of miles and ride hard and do hill repeats and all kinds of stuff and it wasn't so much because I in, enjoyed that uh, suffering but it was primarily when I did it uh, I was thinking about getting ready to compete, you see. And uh, I would visualize the sort of the competition in my mind as I was doing these things and going through this stuff. And you see, the, uh, what I was going through, uh, it was really just kind of, in a way, just kind of a footnote to the big deal. And that's holiness, you see. Uh, the things that that we go through, the things that God is doing in our lives, uh, even if there's suffering that's involved and in, in difficulty and hardship, uh, all this is just a prelude to his using us, you see. And, and that's the big deal, is being able to find ourselves useful in, in serving him. Let me ask you a question. Uh, will that change your perspective? Will that change your perspective? Uh, look at one more passage with me in the, in the time we have. and uh, If you would, join me in Luke 15. And maybe in an unlikely place, we'll, we're going to see these two different uh, uh, approaches. Luke chapter 15, uh, the master teacher here, that's Jesus, is, uh, you know, telling us something. Uh, one of the reasons I've, I've spent my life uh, teaching young adults is because I believe ideas have consequences, and I want to be involved in the formation of ideas in, in young adult thinking. And... Uh, uh, some, somebody said, well, three uh, ideas that had a lot of consequences. Uh, one was put forth by Charles Darwin. Uh, Darwin said man's an animal, you know, just a result of the evolutionary process. Uh, another one was uh, Karl Marx, who said man's an economic factor and understand uh, man through uh, economics. A third was Sigmund Freud that said, man's a child, you know, just trying to grow up. Interesting, in uh, Luke chapter 15, 
man's described as an animal there, a lost sheep. Man's an economic factor, a lost coin, and man is a child, a prodigal, a child that needs to come to his father, you see. And uh, when you look at the prodigal, and notice, if you would, what I'll call the prayers of the prodigal, when the prodigal is talking to his father. Uh, look, if you, if you would, in uh, verse 11 of uh, Luke 15, it says, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, and here's the first prayer, what is it? Father, give me. This goes back to the pursuit of happiness. Father, give me. Because what do we want the Father to give us? We want him to give us pleasant circumstances, don't we? Father, give me health. Father, give me wealth. Father, give me normal kids. That, that's the one we go back on one na nanosecond after they're born. They can't be normal anymore. They've got to be exceptional. But, uh, you know, and, and then when they get older, we just settle for normal again. <laughs> Father, give me a safe trip. You know, Father, you know, give us a vaccine. Father, give us this, give us that. And I, th I looked at this and I go, man, this thing is killing me. How many of my prayers revolve around, Father, give me. You know, just it just sh shows the, it peels back the veneer and shows the desire in my heart, doesn't it? Now, look at the difference. In, in verse 18, the prodigal, he's, he's had it, right? I mean, um, he's been the, the, the object here of some tough love that just allowed him to hit bottom, you know? And he says, I'll get up, and I'll go to my father, I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What are the next two words? It's not give me, it's what? Make me. Make me. Uh, you make me what you want me to be. You know, uh, your mind can't help but go back to what Paul wrote uh, in, in about the potter and the clay, right? Because the potter is making the clay what he wants the clay to be, and he's shaping it and molding it and then the potter has in mind what that vessel is going to be, right? And how it's going to be used. And it's up to the potter. Uh, Paul says, you know, the clay can't look up to the potter and, and say, you know, I don't want to be like this. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be like this. The clay doesn't have that right or that ability, does it? You see? Instead, it's in the hands of a loving and sovereign potter, isn't it? What he will make that individual uh, to be. And, and, and boy, you know, that, that became a transforming uh, prayer in my heart and in my life 
Uh, Father, you make me the vessel you want me to be. Now, that's faith, isn't it? And most people don't have faith, and I'll tell you why, because faith is scary. It's scary. We want to keep control, don't we? We want to try to control our circumstances. We want to make, try to make them as pleasant as we possibly can. And it's hard to be a trusting soul, isn't it? And say, Father, you make me what you want me to be. You're the potter. I'm the vessel. And I want to be used the way you want to use me. That's, you know, that's my, that's my heart's desire uh, to do this. When A.W. Tozer was uh, writing about this, uh, he said, uh, I would challenge every believer to pray to, to God and say, Father, uh, don't make me happy, make me holy. And, and then he said, take it a step further and ask God to make you only as happy as you are holy. And he said, know this, that in the end, for a believer, the gateway to happiness is through holiness. People who pursue happiness find themselves at the mercy of circumstance, don't they? And some circumstances are good and some are not good. And it's like the bumper sticker that says life can be a bummer and then you die. <laughs> but for the believer, the pursuit of holiness is the gateway to a three-letter word that we would call happiness, and that's joy, isn't it? And joy is the deep-seated satisfaction that God's in control, and I'll ultimately find rest and satisfaction in him. And hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I, I hope I'm encouraging your heart this morning and, and helping you with perspective uh, you know, more than preaching to you or anybody else, I just need to preach the truth to myself, right? And we need to preach the truth, truth to ourselves just on a, a daily basis, don't we? And remind ourselves just uh, on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, why on earth am I here, <laughs> And what is it, you know, that I, how is it that I need to think about this and, and approach it? The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And by God's grace, I hope we think correctly about God and, and about ourselves and about how we relate uh, to this thing called life and these things called circumstances. You know, we're called to be holy, aren't we? to be used by God in his service. And what a great privilege, you know, to be able to, to do that. Well, let me pray with you, and then uh, uh, I'm not sure just how things will wrap up, but I know they will, you know, in some <laughs> way. So I'll pray with you, and then we'll wrap it up. Father, uh, we thank you that uh, 
you didn't just uh, make this world, watch it fall into sin, and then just walk away. I might have done that just out of frustration or say, well, if that's the way they want to be, just let them be like that. But instead, you've stayed actively involved with it, not just uh, generally, but individually. And you've reached out to us as your children. You've drawn us to yourself. And I pray that uh, you'll uh, put within us a desire to please you and to live in a way that honors you and that uh, our pursuit of holiness will be a gateway to that. And Lord, we know that in us dwells no good thing, that any good thing, any great thing that happens, happens because it's you at work. And so we just thank you and praise you for that, and we give you all the glory in your son's name. Amen.